All right, yeah, so I'm going to have Scribe Light on this episode again. I guess I had him on like last year or maybe over a year ago. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, how long ago was that? One year ago. Um, one year ago, exactly. This is what he looked like, I think. He's going to look pretty similar. Um, yeah, so this is his YouTube channel. Go to at Scribe Light. Uh, he does TED Excellence, which he looks at TED Talks and makes fun of, or he like kind of just tries to make sense of them, makes fun of them. Does other stuff, like uh, just talks about, you know, Marvel stuff. Um and he also has true crime content. He has true crime people on. He does, uh, he he goes over articles kind of like, this is all trying to rationalize and make sense of a lot of the woke, uh, a lot of the culture, social justice, woke culture stuff. I don't know if he calls it that, but that's what I do. So yeah, check him out, guys. <laughs> Uh yeah, have you uh how are you uh where you are? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing okay. Are we, are we live? Uh yeah, I mean I don't uh do them live, but oh, are you recording this? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I wasn't sure because if it was live, I would I put the link out and uh, get other people in, but cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, I haven't uh tried doing that yet, like cuz I started it not as just a podcast. Uh Right. And I guess the live to me seems a little more stressful. Uh, yeah, I understand. Uh, um, so are you, uh, are you like, I've been wondering if you're, if you live near like Portland or Seattle <laughs> or somewhere. Oh, I, I'm on the West coast. That's, that's as much as I'll say. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I may, I may have been near those areas at one point or another in my life, but, uh, yeah, I'm just on the West coast. Okay. Yeah. Cause I just said it would be funny. Like it just funny if to picture you having like near those areas and being so rational, it's like the opposite kind of. of <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, trying to be rational near any major city these days is kind of, uh, a difficult task, I think. Yeah. Or, or, or just, or just to be, you know, within, you know, relative earshot of it. Cause, uh, it seems like a lot of the, especially well, on the coast specifically, you know, West coast, East coast, uh, you get to, I don't know. I mean, I don't classify myself as a liberal and I don't classify myself as a conservative. I just, you know, ask me a question on a particular subject or issue and I'll, tell you my opinion and oftentimes it contradicts one side or the other depending but um but yeah just seeing uh, i mean the last couple of years in particular with the uh, the governance over the pandemic and everything that's just, yeah anyway it i could go on but man yeah see, seeing some of these cities just turn into absolute war zones or garbage dumps is depressing yeah. no matter no matter where you are to see see a great city like san francisco you know, or, um, or Portland or Seattle. Um, there was a, I remember seeing a documentary a few years ago 
where uh, I think it was a local news team or something looked at the slow um, de-evolution of Seattle and how it was becoming this, you know, you know, homeless camp all over the place and just, uh, just terrible crime. And, uh, and, and then of course, summer of love and everything else. And it's just, uh, you know, it's like watching, watching a place look so pretty. And then it turns into, uh, you know, no place anybody would want to live. Yeah. I mean, it really sucks. I mean, I mean, but I'm in New York, so I mean, Mm. but like, I do get like annoyed lately with like, um, you know, I guess a lot of conservative or just the anti-woke people will kind of be like, get the hell out of cities. What are you doing? And I'm like, you know, it's kind of a shame. Like, I mean, I, I like I haven't really been to other, that many other cities, but it's kind of a shame to just like, all right, let's give up on New York and every other city just because I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't want to like, like you say, you don't want to like retreat from your home. I mean, be yeah. driven out or something. I mean, there there, there comes, to, uh, I mean, at a certain point, depending on what your situation is, there might be a level of pragmatism that kicks in. Like if you literally can't live where you are, either because the economy's lousy or, you know, if crime is so ridiculous that you just don't feel safe, it's a shame to have to feel like you, you have to retreat. Uh, but you shouldn't just do it because it's peer pressure or some kind of, you know, I mean, Obviously, if you want to make a quote unquote statement by like, I'm defecting to Texas or something, I was like, okay, well, I'm, sh- I mean, I've got family in Texas. I've been to Texas. It's a nice place. My, not quite my climate, but uh, yeah. literally my climate, not, uh, not as far as the people are concerned. But, um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame if you've got like, you know, roots in a particular place. And then uh, because of the, uh, reckless decisions of the people who are supposed to be in charge of being stewards for the city or the condition of the citizens or anything else just lets it all go to go to hell and then they're like well, what am i supposed to do just stand stand and fight the good fight or leave and retreat and leave behind you know my life or my uh my family or my roots or my history or whatever that's crappy situation to be in yeah and I don't know. I mean, I guess because like, you know, guys like Tim Pool. I don't know. A lot of them are kind of act like. I mean, come on, get out of cities already. <laughs> but uh, I mean, no. I'm also I like. Then it it kind of seems like it's also kind of everywhere. I mean, I mean, it probably depends on the city. Like, because people think New York, like, oh my god, how could you be there? But like, then I look at like Portland or somewhere, and I'm like, how could you be there? Like it might be portrayed worse than it is. I don't know. Uh, uh, I mean, I guess it depends like where you live because like the worst parts of San Francisco are in San Francisco. If you're in a suburb, or if you're on the edge or something else, you know, you might have a sort of a, a sentimental sense of either depression or disgust at what's happening near you, but maybe it's not quite affecting you directly. So you can still, sort of uh exist and it's just an annoyance or uh or just again just sort of a, a stain on your sort of sense of uh community or or local culture um but yeah i mean there are like like with any town even before all this stuff there's there's parts of town that are worse than others and you stay away from those but uh it seems like in some of the big cities the worst parts of town keep getting bigger and bigger over time because they're not being 
um, maintained the same way, law enforcement's not being um, put into place the same way as it used to, and a lot of things are being um, either legalized or looked the other way because you don't want to, uh, you know, marginalize people and so on and so forth, and it's all... You know, I, 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 the the phrase "bleeding heart liberal" has a certain level of truth to it, um, and yeah. I, I I I kind of avoid using, if I can help it, sort of like um, broad terms or ad hominem type stuff about political groups and things because I know it's made up of different factions and different people with different ideas, and not every liberal's liberal's the same as one liberal uh, politician and vice versa for. Uh, conservatives or Republicans or whatever, but uh, it's it's really hard not to think that um, the a sort of manic compassion, uh, yeah. a sort of just if I had if I had to come up with a with a, a TEDx title for it, destructive compassion, uh, <laughs> hasn't overtaken a lot of um, a lot of cities um, as we've seen Portland and San Francisco and so on. Yeah, and I mean. Yeah, like the there's a whole bail, bail reform law here where they just there's kind of no bail for anyone, so they just keep doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, I've looked at I've looked at cash bail a couple of times on my channel. It's a really interesting moral question, uh, which which you know ha there there is a point in saying uh, is it right for someone to have to be in a situation where they have to afford their freedom. Um, while awaiting trial, um, because if if you want to talk about like the most distinct um, disparity between the classes, you know, do I spend time in jail for a crime I may not have committed, or a crime that by the time I'm done with it, I may you know end up being um, either vindicated of, or the time I'm spending in jail is now going to go towards whatever my sentence is, and in the meantime, I'm losing my job, I'm missing my family. I'm having my whole life destroyed, perhaps for something that ends up being relatively minor as far as punishment if I get to trial. But that's beside the point. Now, I've been in jail for this whole time. My life's been disrupted. And the only reason being is that I don't have enough money in my pocket to afford my yeah. freedom. It sounds it sounds very bar barbaric in a way. And so uh, I've I've been sort of conceptually, philosophically sympathetic to people who are against cash bail as a system. And but trying to find alternatives, uh, depending on the situation, is kind of a I don't know the, the the couple of things I've seen so far. I remember was something like, and I think they were trying it out in somewhere in California, if I, if I remember correctly. Maybe it was in Los Angeles or something. Uh, they're trying to do instead of cash bail, the judge would have this checklist, and they would assess each individual on certain criteria as to what was the likelihood that they would not appear in front of the judge based on all these criteria, not specifically their economic situation. Although I think that probably was concluded. And, but then you're just sort of exchanging someone's ability to pay for their freedom with a judge's potential discretion, discretion yeah. and or bias. And are you really improving the situation? Like I say, I, I, the, the whole point is you want to make sure somebody appears for their trial. And if you're not going to hold uh, a financial uh, incentive over their head to make sure that happens, what else could you use that would be as effective? I don't know. That's the thing. That's that's what's trying to be figured out right now, I suppose. 
Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, I guess there's sort of a trend here with push <laughs> people getting pushed on the subway tracks. Uh, oh, yeah. Which Jesus. is fun. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> what a horror story. Absolutely. I just, I've seen videos of that stuff before. I've seen, so there, there was one just the other day I saw where it's like some, some like 16 year old girl or something was just headed oh, yeah. to get her hair done for prom and some crazy homeless lady just shoved her in front of a train and thankful or on the tracks. And thankfully she wasn't hit and people pulled her out before she was hit by anything. But I can't even imagine It's just like, I've only been to New York once for a, a student trip back when I was like 12 or 13. And we rode the, mm. we rode the subway. And even then, even then the stories of people getting pushed, I stood way back from the edge of the, the platform I was like, you know, I don't have to be right up with my nose to the door. I can, I can wait a minute. Yeah, because I don't want to get shoved in there. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that happened before. I don't know the pandemic because I don't know if it's the media. I don't know. I didn't know if people did it before or now it's a recent trend. <laughs> well, I, I I couldn't say as to the frequency, but people have been pushed onto the tracks or jumped onto the tracks. Yeah, many many times over. I, I think I think yeah, the social media, uh, you know, people with their cell with their, with their smartphones, just the uh, the instantaneous nature of of uh, communication now probably probably makes it seem more uh, reg more usual than it maybe I don't know. Like I said, I'd, you'd have to look up like the MTA or something and find out what the what the what the statistics are on train pushes I, I hope it's a low number but he heaven knows yeah, these no. days yeah i mean because earlier i just saw like oh we're gonna put guardrails up and uh to me it seemed like a super sort of a superficial like i don't i i kind of doubt they'll go up in every single subway station there's so <sighs> I think about guard guardrails on a subway platform i was, I was thinking about uh, bottlenecking people trying to get into those doors or if oh, the train yeah. doesn't or if the train doesn't line up just right then you know they got some awkward stuff and people getting injured or tripping over them i mean i don't know like i think i think the the best thing to do is just education people you know always give yourself 10 feet from the edge of the platform don't stand at the edge of the platform. big, big i think they already do have like big yellow lines or something or big warning stripes or something on there like stay back from here but people you know they're not going to pay attention, or they're they're so wanting to get to the front of the line. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. When I first moved here before the pandemic, I mean, there's just a lot less people now. I mean, it gets busy sometimes, but every time it was like I was kind of afraid. Like <laughs> it would get so crowded. I'm like, is this like like uh, a health hazard? Like, hmm. Well, everything is a health hazard. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> breathing is a health hazard. Eating too many carrots is a health hazard. I, you know, uh, the uh, I don't know, li living in fear too much. Like I, my 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 biggest sort of primal lizard brain fear is paralysis, or, you know, or something that takes away my ability to be independent. Right. Yeah. And something could happen at any point of the day that I'm outside or inside or whatever. That could cause that. I could fall down. I could be hit by a car. Uh, I could have, uh, you know, another, another, you know, vessel burst in my body. So whatever. Um, and so that possibility, as relatively remote as it is, exists in my life every day. 
But if I lived like, oh my God, if I make a move, I'm going to get paralyzed. I never go anywhere. I never do anything. Yeah. You know, and you can't, you can't maintain that defensive, um, you know, hermetically sealed crouch for very long, if at all, and maintain your sanity. It just doesn't make any sense. That's, that's why I, uh, I had more during the course of the pandemic with the lockdowns and everything, I had more sort of morbid concerns and curiosities about what happens after this is over. If people get used to this behavior, get used to this way of life. And especially, especially in the beginning, I didn't know how long it was going to go on. If these two, three years or whatever are the immediate formative years of a generation of children, I can't even imagine what the long-term effects are of living in a world that is telling you every day, if you look the wrong direction, if you're in the wrong place, if you breathe on the wrong person, you're either going to kill somebody or you're going to die. And just like, <laughs> it's just can't even, can't even imagine what, what the next few years are going to look like when those kids grow up in the positions of either, you know, what, what the next round of protests or social movements or how that's going to frame things for people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wonder, like, because I mean, to me, like, it seems like it's people in their 20s, maybe, that are more like, like, they mask up still here. Mm. And, uh, and like, this week, like, there's been, like, wildfire smoke here. And, like, today, there was people masking <laughs> for the Oh, smoke. yeah. Yeah, wildfires on the West Coast, man. The California fires, when they hit, are... And depending on which way the wind blows, literally, uh, it can it can really screw it. Especially during the um, during the pandemic when you're supposed to be locked down. Oh yeah. And so on top of you can't go anywhere. On top of that, in the summertime when it was hot as hell and there was nowhere to go, uh, and I didn't want to go outside or anything. And on top of that, you had to keep everything closed up because of the uh, forest fire, fire smoke. It was practically unbearable. It was just. Uh, I mean, and, and and my apartment has nothing that could be considered good air circulation or anything. I don't have an air conditioner or anything. It's just, it's just an apartment. And so at the time I didn't have an air conditioner uh, really. I, 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 I've since gotten one, thankfully. Um, it only really helps cool down my, my computer room. But uh, man, that was, that was like triple torture. It was terrible, terrible. I, I don't wish that upon anybody, even in my worst enemy. Yeah, I mean, that I was gonna like. I mean, I don't think our, even New York's lockdowns got as bad as some of California's, maybe LA County. I don't know, but yeah. I mean, just being in my, I mean, you saying I have a computer room, <laughs> I'm like, I have like, you know, a small studio. But you go oh, to New I mean, York because, like, so. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a, I've, I've, I'm lucky that I have the space that I've got. I basically got like a second sort of tiny little bedroom. Um, it, I mean, it, it, it functions either as a bedroom or just as an extra room, I suppose, depending on what you do with it. But I don't have a roommate anymore, so I just converted it. Basically, I mean, it's a studio in the functional sense. It's where my computer, and my microphone is. But I've got oh, yeah. a giant uh, window in front of me, and the acoustics in here are the the probably the worst you could possibly ask for when it comes to doing a studio thing but hey you know noise cancellation and a and a compression compression a microphone yeah um yeah like that was the 
I mean, I was like thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to move if we have another lockdown. Because New mm. York, like, the reason you go there is you want to go outside or whatever mm-hmm. you go. Um, not like I'm, you know, going to parties all the time, but just, uh, yeah. Well, you I want mean, to experience the city. I mean, if you're if you're living yeah. in New York or nearby, <clears throat> the whole attraction to it is the life around you. You know, the sights, the scenes, the people, the restaurants, the just just being part of. The city, but but even then, like if you're living in the Northwest or something, you want to go outside and experience nature. Yeah, you want to get the fresh air and everything. I mean, pe- people are not designed to be uh, cloistered in caves anymore. You want to be out, and you, know, as you, you get cabin fever, and as we've heard so many horror stories of people who, because of the lockdowns, they're having to spend more time with each other in enclosed spaces that they would have otherwise, and that just you know, if there if there are any cracks in relationships that were just sort of simmering before, now they're up to the forefront, and you get more. I mean, I I, I only I, I'd be really really curious to see, and I'm sure somebody's done it. Uh, look at the divorce rate before the pandemic, during, and then immediately yeah. after. Um, and and I'm and I'm sure somebody else has always already done like um, domestic violence statistics over the course of the pandemic and everything else, because that's also got to be a problem. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're not, and it, and it didn't do any good anyway. Well, I don't know if I want to get into like that stuff. Cause on YouTube, you start posting this stuff. Are you going to post this on YouTube? I don't know if you are. Uh, yeah, but I kind of, that's just an extra thing. Like it's also on podcast app. So yeah, like. I, I've, I've gained this, this, I mean, speaking of paranoia, I've gained this sort of like, um, internal red PTSD. flag system of well there's just there's this you know unfortunately it's been ingrained in a lot of youtubers yeah. uh over time that there are certain subjects certain words certain uh, trains of thought that if you say the wrong thing or you go the wrong direction or you dwell too much on this one thing it's going to get you in trouble it's going to get your channel struck with a community thing and so on i mean i just had it happen what, like last month or something where uh, an episode of Lords of the Night from like two and a half or three years ago uh, got me a community strike on the basis of uh, advancing conspiracy theories about the election. When as and and the thing was, when I when I looked at the video, we, we, we read a story about the election but we weren't advancing any theories. We were just talking hmm. around the subject, which you're not even allowed to talk about it. it thankfully, the, the the strike was taken off pretty quick thereafter. After I appealed, it's what it's community strikes are one of the few things you can safely appeal without like risking legal peril or something, um, because a, a copyright strike or some kind of defamation claim or something. If you use their system, you're making some sort of like legal declaration of truth or whatever the heck else it is. Oh yeah, and that's that's always a sketchy thing because I'm not a lawyer. I can't afford a lawyer. It's a YouTube video. Just tell me to delete it. I don't care. But uh, when it comes to community strikes, at least they allow you to directly appeal, and they don't put like some kind of legal um, uh, legal pitfall in front of you for it. So, but yeah, but yeah, like I say, uh, and uh, any any YouTuber trying to maintain either monetization or depending on what we're talking about not have their channel either struck or deleted or something. Yeah. yeah you gotta be, a, gotta be a little wary of what you're saying. Unfortunately, it's not a, 
YouTube is a, is a, an, an amazing platform. It's not a free speech platform in the sense of yeah. anything. Not, not that I think that anything should go per se, but uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a minefield. Yeah. Uh, so like you, they told you what, at least what part, uh, uh, no, they just said that this this video has been taken down because uh, and they, they, it has a little stock answer of advancing blah, 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 uh, election uh, in, invalidity or something. And so, uh, I mean, at least in, at least in, again, for some reason, the community guideline strikes are very specific in copyright strikes or copyright claims or in my case, the, the first and so far only time you know, knock wood that it, I got a defamation claim that got a video banned first in the UK and then in Saudi Arabia. And then I followed up with a copyright strike on something that the person could not have owned copyright over. But if I was going to argue against that, again, I'd be put in some kind of legal um, lockdown, for lack of a better word, of whatever my statement was a statement of truth. I, I'd have to. I'd have to say with with absolute certitude, this person does not have copyright on this thing. And it's like I, it was a TEDx talk. TEDx talks are under Creative Commons license. There's there's a lot of nebulous territory there, but they're not copyright owned by the person on the stage. But then, I have to think to myself. Well, as far as I know, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So it's like I I I, I have no recourse. So, you know, but, uh, but yeah, so it's YouTube is always you know, like every time I post something I, I, in the back of my mind, I'm kind of thinking, is this going to get me in trouble today or three years from now when the algorithm decides that there's a problem or I said something wrong or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So is that why you pause a lot? And I know that's something people do like. Well, so the, the 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 YouTube has a algorithm set up for content matching. So if I was just to put up a piece of content that has some kind of copyright uh, thing on it, or is uh, so let, let's say let's say I post uh, a video on my channel, and then somebody else somewhere takes thirty seconds or something of my video and plays it on their channel uninterrupted uh hmm. more likely than not i'm going to get a notice from uh youtube saying hey uh we have a content match on your video here's where it, it occurred and uh because i've had this happen before like um uh sinatra like, this is way back in the day like sinatra says in the olden days he uh asked if i would do a video that he could post on his channel as sort of a um, guest video deal. And so uh, I made a video uh, for that, and, I, and he posted on his channel. And uh, we agree, we agree, I think, if I remember correctly, we agreed that uh, we'd let it run two weeks on his channel exclusive. And then after that two weeks, I'd post it on my channel just so I could have, you know, I, I made content for my channel and everything else. Um, after I posted it on my channel, I got a notice about, 10 minutes afterwards saying, Hey, we, uh, we found a content match to Sinatra says using this video. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That's weird. But that's permissible. I didn't, I didn't 
you know, uh, argue it or, or contest it or anything, because obviously he would, because it's the same video. Um, when it comes to what I'm doing is, um, there's two, two levels to it. One, if you let something that already exists on YouTube run too long, either by audio or visual, the algorithm might catch it and then turn off your live stream. Because if it's a live stream and they catch you uh, streaming somebody else's content for too long, then there's a danger in their mind that, you know, this is some kind of copyright issue or you're duplicating somebody else's work. So yeah. that, that's the one thing. There's, there's a mechanical concern that if I'm doing a live stream and I'm um, critiquing a TEDx video or another live stream, another panel discussion, that uh, I'll be detected as more or less, you know, trying to steal someone else's work. The other thing, too, is that in order to, at least in spirit, if not in legal terms, because I don't know, uh, be able to qualify what you're doing as a transformative work for the sake of fair use, the amount of content that you're creating by yourself as opposed to the original content you're looking at has to exceed a certain percentage. So like if you look at any one of my TEDx videos, the TEDx talk might only go on for 10 minutes, but my stream is an hour. So that means that the TEDx talk makes up a relatively small amount of the overall content that I've produced. And that is sort of the insulation legally uh, to qualify for fair use. So that's why I pause a lot, make sure that there's enough space in between bits and pieces of the TEDx talk and, uh, and also to avoid any uh, content matching. I, I don't know what the timer is. Like if I knew I can go 30 seconds straight without risking having my uh, stream ended uh, then maybe I'd have a clock next to me or something but I don't know what that is so I kind of give it like a sentence or two you know there's sort of a trying to find that sweet spot of someone's made a statement or something or a funny thing happened I stop uh, think about it for a second and then move on yeah did you look up all that um, about fair use and how exactly to Oh, well, I mean, most of my knowledge about fair use comes from numerous, numerous uh, instructional and educational videos of, on YouTube over the years from people who are like, especially when we had the adpocalypse, especially uh, whenever YouTube changes something in the algorithm or they start or there's some big story about um, somebody copyright striking somebody unfairly. And then there's like a video out there about what is fair use or how does it work on YouTube? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, mo most of my knowledge, my understanding comes through osmosis and also sort of, I guess, trial and error. So I, I've been, I've been very fortunate. So I think part of the, part of the advantage is that I'm not a huge channel or anything. Uh, but I, you know, I, I have, um, I've been contacted at least two or three times in the past by people who, uh, I did videos on, like I did a TEDx and the lady in the TEDx came across it or somebody referred it to her. Um, and she left a comment. Um, I've had a couple of, you know, fairly, fairly civil conversations with a lady, uh, who I did a couple of videos on cause she was a, um, or is sort of a, a business coach or consultant or something. And I did a couple of videos looking at some of her stuff back in the day. And it really comes down to, you know, does somebody have some kind of problem with what you're doing? And then if they're going to try to copyright strike it, do they have a claim? 
And if you're commenting on something, if you're criticizing something, if it's only making up a percentage of the overall piece, then as far as I know, until somebody decides to take me to court or something, as far as I know, I'm in safe territory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I did record an intro about you again separately. Uh, but yeah, um, so all the like TEDx uh, stuff you do, like you've only had a couple people find out and then. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm trying to think. Um, uh, there was one, there was one lady, the TEDx was about, I don't remember the exact title, but the, the TEDx was about um, women of color in fashion or something like that. And uh, in the course of it, uh, it, it's, it's relevant to the story. So she, she, or part of her complaint was that, uh, the bodies of women of color were being exploited, uh, and, uh, used in fashion and this, that, and the other. And when she's giving this talk, she was wearing like, uh, not, not a skirt per se, but like shorts. And she was, she's a very leggy woman, let's just say. And her complaint during the course of the TED Talk was about fashion and uh, female bodies and exploiting them for attention and so on and so forth. And in the course of the, the stream, I made, a I made a comment of something to the effect of, you know, uh, given her complaints, it's interesting that she's chosen the outfit that she's chosen. And uh, it's something like that. And then there was a, I got a tweet, I think, from her Um and or something like that and uh she was I, I i can't remember exactly she was she was sort of like being snarky about like somebody has a problem with my outfit or something and yeah. i responded i said no I, I, I and yeah this was on twitter and i said no i just found it interesting that given your argument about this 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 and this uh and how you know these things are um bad or being taken advantage of i just found your choice of outfit for the presentation seem to be a little contradictory. And because I, uh, or I assume because I responded with a, a reasonable explanation of why I made the comment that I made, she uh, responded back something to the effect of got a point. And that was about it. <laughs> um, in other situations, I'm trying to think of, uh, uh, yeah, there's there's only been a couple of times I, I've I've had some I've had some interactions like I, I'd go back to the original video of something I've done and leave a comment uh, based on whatever I uh, thought up or whatever conclusion I came to after doing a video on the subject. I've had a couple of con couple of interactions with some of those uh, people like uh, Dr. Chris Hoff, uh, a character that I've looked at many many times over the years, a family therapist. Uh, the radical therapist, as he calls himself. And um, I remember one of his earliest videos and one of my earlier videos, he did a uh, uh, a piece talking about patriarchy in mental health or something like that. And uh, I left a comment on his uh, on his video and he responded directly. And, you know, it's always interesting. It's like I, uh, I don't have any like... In almost every case, I mean, there's a couple of exceptions just because of the material or the, the the theory or something that they were pushing. But almost every case, I have absolutely no animosity 
towards any of the subjects that I look at, yeah. uh, like, like personally or anything. And so, uh, and I'm always kind of, uh, grateful to have any interaction with somebody, whether it's good, bad, or otherwise, because, uh, I still have this, this mentality. And I was, I was thinking about this the other day, uh, because, um, on, on this coming Saturday, I'm going to be, uh, hosting, um, uh, my talk show living on borrowed crime. And I'm going to have, uh, a, uh, true crime creator on there named the, the disturbing truth. And he makes really great content. And throughout the, the, the waiting time for that to happen, I, I felt like I'm kind of starstruck, I'm a little nervous because I'm going to be talking to somebody who's stuff I like and who like I've listened to their, I've watched their show. There's still this part of me because of, because of how old I am. There's still this part of me that has one foot in the era where anybody who made a television show was like off somewhere in the distance and it was a production and it's, you know, it's Robert Stack or it's, or it's uh, John Walsh or something like hosting a, a America's most wanted or unsolved mysteries. And it seems like an untouchable individual, like some kind of like, mythical being and yet i've had this weird experience now and it's so commonplace now is that i've had on my channel my my rinky dink little channel i've had on people who i sort of idolize and see as sort of like these are television show presenters because that's basically what these what these videos are i mean if somebody produces something on youtube whether it's really well produced or it's just you know really well scripted um there's always this sense of unreality that takes place in my mind because I I'm still, I'm only half a child of the internet age. I'm still, yeah. like I say, my, my, my root, my root programming is still back in analog. And so the idea that I would speak to the person behind one of these things is just like, woo, <laughs> And that, that kind of gets me all kind of weirded out sometimes, but it's, but again, it's, it's, it's very commonplace now, which is just weird to me in a way. Yeah, I mean, I felt like that with you, actually. I mean, especially the first time. Because, uh, I don't know, also your voice is so, like... Uh, Kermit the Frog? <laughs> um, I didn't think that until you said it on something. I was like... Oh, oh. no, I no, I, <laughs> I, I accept it. I've, I've, I've owned it. People have been like, you sound just like Jordan Peterson, or you sound like Kermit <laughs> the Frog's older brother. Like, I... Yeah, I guess I can see it. And I mean, I, I, I have done a Kermit the Frog impression in my time. Uh, I still, I still, it, part, I, I'm, I'm used to my voice now more than I was when I was younger because I've had to listen to it more often on recordings for editing. I still don't like my voice. When I hear myself talk, I just like, ugh. Ugh, I'm used to it, but I just like, ugh. I, I, I think I sound weird. I, I don't know. It's just, I don't know that I'll ever get over it. I, I, I get so jealous of like ranting monkey or Dave's lemonade or Matt orchard or these guys that just have these perfectly round toned voices for radio. You know, I just like, gosh, I, w I wish I sounded that cool. I just, I, every time I hear myself, I think I, I just sound like a dork. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of think you, I mean, like, I think I emailed you before, like, you reminded me of Sam Harris. Although now I kind of want to apologize for saying that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, he, no, it's, no. Uh, people change. Took a, turn a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's one of those things you got to, uh, 
don't idolize people. Yeah. Idolize ideas, idolize principles, because, you know, people can, like I say, turn a corner, change their minds, uh, have their own sort of revelation that goes counterclockwise or whatever. Um, there's a, uh, uh, there's a video I did long ago where someone was trying to, um, they, they were trying to argue that Black Lives Matter and Martin Luther King Jr. were on the same page. Or trying to say something like people who venerate Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, are wrong to do so because yeah. he wasn't perfect or something. And I'm like, I think I made the point in there, like, you know, I don't, I don't idolize the man because of uh, his his failings as a person, I idolize his principles that he espoused. And any and here's the thing: it doesn't matter who says those ideas. Ultimately, the question is: is the idea, is the principle good? Because the yeah. principle will always outlive uh, a fallible human being. Uh, the like like the ideas and the uh, the principles and the values uh, written down in the Constitution were far, far greater than the men who actually wrote them. And so, um, you know, uh, having an understanding of historical figures, having admiration for individuals for things that they've done and so on, perfectly fine. And some some people are just purely good people, like Mr. Rogers. You're not, you're perfectly, I feel perfectly safe in idolizing that man. I don't think I'm, I'm in uh, bad territory. But, you know, generally speaking otherwise, yeah, yeah. Uh, live up to the best parts of the people you admire, but don't think that the best people you admire are the best people that have ever lived. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think people joked about Mr. Rogers before, like wait till something about him comes out, then it'll be all. <laughs> well, and I mean, there's, there, I mean, there's a, there's a certain truth to it. I mean, Bill Cosby is an example, right? You know, America's yeah. dad and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, yeah, that that image is tarnished. Uh, and you know, you, you're you're far better off uh, uh, emulating the idea of Bill Cosby, the Good Father, than you are quoting the man now. And yeah. you know, like I say, the the ideals that someone puts forth, or the image, or the the role model that they were in their sort of gilded form is probably a better way to go than saying quoting directly bill Cosby. but yeah if something terrible came out about mr rogers tomorrow or something uh or like uh in britain the uh i guess probably probably the, the closest cosby equivalent that i can think of was jimmy savile who was like yeah. uh if you know about jimmy savile yeah, i know he he was britain's every man and he was everybody's hero and he's everybody's uncle and pal and everything. And then after he dies, only then do you find out what a monster he was. And it kind of, kind of pours a, a can of grease on the entire photo album of that guy's life. Doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I've been, yeah, I think I, uh, yeah. Cause I guess the whole, like, you know, separating the art from the artist, like, I guess mm -hmm. there's certain ones like him, not like, I don't know, even watching the own footage of him. I'm like, eh, I don't really, but I never really liked Cosby's stuff. Like I never got into it, mm. but like there's certain, I think there's a de degree for me, I guess, like 
I'm not mad at someone that would still listen to Cosby, but like, I guess up to it, like, you know, there's still stuff that comes out. Uh, like, there's, I guess, the band Ramstein, who I like, has stuff coming out now, but it's like not clear, and everybody's already like, no, I can't listen to them again. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I think people do need to kind of separate that kind of stuff too. Well, it's 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 more difficult to do when the entirety of a person's art is them. Yeah. You know, because like knowing the truth or I should say at this point because who knows but 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 no, knowing the allegations, knowing the history, knowing what's been said and so on and so forth or the, or the reputation of someone now and then trying to look back at things that they said previously without having an ear towards you know, if if they make a joke about a certain subject, and I'm not, not talking just about Cosby here, I'm talking about like anybody whose reputation has been blown up by whatever, uh, especially comedians in general, if they're making light of something, but then you know behind the scenes that they were really doing this or they were suspected of doing that, it does take the fun out of it. Yeah. You, you can't at that point. It's very difficult to just look at a comedian in particular as. Um, someone holding a mirror up to the world because once their dirty laundry is out for everyone to see, uh, it's there. It's now part of their story. They're not just sort of a uh, disconnected observer of human life and everything. Now they are a figure beyond that. Their real life has become uh, more prominent than whatever comedic fiction they're putting up on the stage. Um, or, or if they're an actor like, like Kevin Spacey or something, it's difficult to sort of watch him act knowing what he's been accused of and, or what he's done and not think of that when you're looking at somebody and trying to, trying to imagine them as a different character because they, I, I think, I think it ruins the suspension of disbelief over a comedic performance, a dramatic performance, uh, or, or anything else really. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess so. I guess it's hard to, uh, oh, it looks like you froze up. Am I talking to the ether now? Uh Oh, well, uh, oh, yep. <laughs> I have to edit this out. Edit this out. <laughs> Hey, sorry. Uh, well, it's a good thing you weren't live. You can cut that part out. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Computer overheated or something? Mm. Did I miss any uh, gold that you were? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, for, for for those of you at home uh, that are coming in now, yeah, a large a large portion uh, uh, had to be cut because uh, um, Brian's computer crapped out. Uh, I honestly forget where I was when I stopped talking and realized that you weren't here anymore. So whatever it was, I'm sure it was great. You'll have to decide by the time you get to it. It was great. Edit this out. Uh, I don't know. It's like my, I mean, my old laptop did the same thing. Yeah. Weird. It's only when I talk to a guest too. It's like never on my own, but Hmm. uh, I guess we're, I mean, it's always whenever I'm, too close to the truth that <laughs> yeah, that's it yeah yeah all, all, all the alphabet agencies suddenly realize aha now's the time to shut down his computer 
Yes. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a. Uh, those agencies are almost becoming the alphabet mafia now. <laughs> Isn't that oh a- well, that 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 could have been said any time in the past. It's always I, and I'm no I'm no expert. Every everything that I ever hear about that stuff always ends up being some kind of some kind of conspiracy theory or something else. You know, you have to cite a specific case and look at the actions of if they're even public knowledge, because oftentimes you don't you don't actually get the uh, the inside scoop, but. Uh, yeah, has the, has the FBI screwed up before? Sure. Has the CIA screwed up before? Yeah. Are they doing so right now? Probably. What can we do about it? Nothing, practically. Yeah. Well, I actually meant the government. Um, maybe soon there'll be a government LGBTQ committee or something. <laughs> like. Oh, there already is. I mean, there's There's already elements of that, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, just as an aside thing, I, I and I, I think I said this on a video a long time ago, I've never quite understood why the T is even included because you're talking about uh, sexual orientations and oh. being transgender has nothing to do inherently with sexual orientation. You could be transgender, you could be a transgender man and like women or men. There's no determinative factor there just being transgender. Everything else is an orientation, something else is, I, I'm not quite sure what the official classification would be, but I, I always found it weird that, that, that that's grouped together as though they're inherently tied one to another. Um, but anyway. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I forget. Cause I, that's another, I mean, I thought it was crazy in the, uh, you know, summer of love or whatever, but then, mm. um, I guess now it's more the trans issue is, is like the kind of the almost the tipping point. It seems like it's like the I mean, I, I just like don't get because I'm like, yeah, do whatever you want. But like as soon as they were like, no, like trans women are literally women. I was like, wait. <laughs> yeah, I you, you can't you can't escape reality and trying to say trying to gaslight society into thinking something is true when it's not it's i mean it's a very touchy subject i get it yeah you know and uh not to sound too cliche about it but in the course of my life and even now i have friends who are transgender they have gone through the process in one way shape or form and uh it's uh you know it, it really comes down at least in my experience with just my individual relationships with people there was uh there was a guy in my social group and i've told this story before uh, who I knew, and for the sake of privacy, John. And I knew him as John for two years or something. And then one day, John just stopped showing up to social events. I mean, it wasn't one of those things where it's like, oh, where's John or something? It was just one of those things. And then like uh, two or three months later, John reappeared. But now John was Jane. And John looked a little different because John had gone through some changes. Uh, yeah. And... It was, it was different. It was odd, but John was a grown, a grown adult. Yeah. And it took a while to refer to John as Jane. And it took a while to, um, how dare you you take a while? Well, I, yeah, no, it just, it was, it it was, I mean, as much as they transitioned, it was a transition for those of us that knew John and cared about John. And now it was Jane. And then after about, I don't know, three or four months or something, you just, 
you got used to calling Jane Jane and it never really came up again. But that's because I knew Jane and Jane, uh, 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 she wasn't like militant about it. Yeah. I mean, she, she had an understanding that I, I think, I mean, I, I only spoke to her once about it and only very briefly, but the sense that I got in our conversations and things that I, I heard elsewise is that uh, for as much of a change in lifestyle as it was for Jane, she was completely aware that it was also a change for everybody around her because Jane had a family who also had to sort of uh, switch how they operate and everything else. Now, that didn't make me believe that Jane was anything other than a man. That didn't make me believe that Jane suddenly transmogrified into a different version of a human being. Uh but for the sake of our friendship and just for everything else, it didn't bother me to call Jane Jane and to refer to Jane as a she. It just, it, it was no big deal. Um, but if someone came along and said, you have to do this, if Jane was like coming up and, and like getting all freaked out if somebody said the wrong thing or started demonizing them or saying you dead named me and da 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 da. Yeah. Uh, I probably wouldn't like Jane all that much anymore because there has to be a certain level of empathy, not only for the person that's going through this, but also the people around for just the sake of socialization. And so to have, I think, I think one of the worst things to happen to the trans community is trans activists yeah. because uh, becoming extremist militant about it in one way, shape or form doesn't help your cause. Um because then you just feel threatened. You feel like you're being vilified. Like, what did I do to you? Li live your life. I don't care if you're a grown adult and you want to do whatever you want to do. It, it's got nothing to do with me. Uh, it, it's, it's sort of like, I think I've talked about this before. It's, it's sort of like religion. It's like, it, it, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody else or, or, you know, or you're not a threat to yourself or something, I don't care what you believe in. It's yeah. not my business. Uh, don't force it upon me. Don't try to assess me or judge me on the basis of your beliefs in that realm. Uh, and if you do, I'm not going to care because it's like, it's not my business. But otherwise, like I, th this is where it comes in where it's like, I have to change my entire way of thinking about reality to satisfy somebody else's belief system. And it is a yeah. belief system at that point. Once you start saying that a man is actually a woman, like, no. You know, the, we, we didn't go through, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's the same thing. And, you know, is, is, is any religious practice where there's a ritual where something becomes something else, or I do this and suddenly you are cleansed, or I do this and suddenly some material becomes a different material. Does it happen yeah. in reality? No. Some people think it does, or for the sake of ritual, or for the sake of spirituality, it's it's how they work. And I I have nothing to say to that. It's got nothing to do with me. But then trying to tell me is put, you know, if, if, if you say uh, through this ritual, this piece of wood becomes gold. And then you put a piece of wood in front of me and say, you know, abracadabra, shim, bam, boom. And suddenly and you point it to me and say, this is now gold. And I look at it like, uh-uh. <laughs> you know, it, it'd be the same thing as me sort of giving into that and sort of deciding to take part in an effective delusion. Now, the fact that you think that this wood is now gold for the sake of your, you know, religious faith or belief or whatever else, 
if that works for you and that makes you happy and it's not doing me any harm or anybody else any harm, hey, have at it. None of my business. But as soon as you start trying to vilify me for not taking part in your delusion, I, you, you, you're, you're completely alienating me. You're completely alienating rational people who otherwise might be on your side in any other instance. Yeah, one thing I was wondering, like, mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, I guess you look up a lot of, you know, since the pandemic, I guess I've been pretty, you know, looking all this stuff up about uh, woke everything, like kind of like the stuff you look up and then also like, you know, all this and then kind of like, you know, recently about Maoism and stuff like that and and then there was the pandemic and uh do you uh are you <laughs> like are you still like optimistic about the future or like uh let any of that stuff get to you or i mean it's it's difficult to see the upside when you're sort of marinating in this stuff as often as i am but uh the <sighs> I mean, at at this point, I'm I'm a very well trained cynic, uh, but there's one there's one element to cynicism that always has to be there, and that's a, a at least a spark of hope that things can change. Otherwise, why are you upset? You know, if you, a, a cynic hasn't given up, that's the yeah. thing. A cynic, as 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 sour as they may be, as vitriolic as they might be, part of them is still hoping that things aren't as bad as they actually are. Otherwise, there's no reason to fight. You just might as well throw up your hands and walk away. Um, I think that, um, there are more reasonable people out there than unreasonable people. I think that, um, there's always going to be some kind of backlash when things go too far. I think our overall tolerances as to where the line is has, uh, I mean, the more recent generations, let's say, have, I think, been conditioned to accept things more readily. I mean, the, the, the pandemic is one really good example. Like everybody just kind of caved, yeah. caved to people who on the one hand, they, they come out and say something one day that this is the way to protect yourself and yada, yada, yada. And then three weeks later they say, Oh, well that was really nothing or it really doesn't mean anything. Uh, people who say we have to lock down to do this. And then somebody comes up and says, well, wait a second, when did this ever work in history? But I, I remember there was, um, I think it was on the, the Bill Maher show or whatever, real time or whatever. I think I, I, I want to say it was Neil deGrasse Tyson. I don't know. But they were arguing about the whole pandemic uh, governmental decisions and things. And Neil deGrasse Tyson said something to the effect of, um, you know, uh, we need to do lockdowns because this is how you handle a pandemic. And it wasn't until somebody afterwards, I think on a tweet or something, said, well, how many times has a full societal lockdown been used in a pandemic before? We, we haven't done no other pandemic in the country has ever been treated that way. You know, if you were sick, you stayed home and were quarantined. It wasn't everybody hmm. and their brother has to be locked yeah. down. Uh, but now that we've had that event and everybody acquiesced and everybody and, and, and I tell you what, I. I don't know that I've ever seen worse tribalism than during the course of the lockdowns and everything, because um, 
and and there's no there's not a lot of harps or halos to go around in the situation but there were a lot of people who called the conservatives a death cult because they were wary of the advice they were being given by the medical establishment uh and yet the people that i saw wishing for and celebrating and getting giddy over even the possibility that someone on the right side of the aisle might either be sick or have died as a result of the the virus. It was, you want to talk about a death cult. I I, I never yeah. saw people so happy on the idea that someone was going to die. It was, it was sick, absolutely sick, but it was fine. And now after it's all kind of fa- phased out, uh, what, what are we doing to make sure this doesn't happen again? And I'm not talking about, there will always be diseases. I'm talking yeah. about the societal damage, the governmental overreach. Has, has anything, is anything, is, are, are any protests about that? Any reforms taking place? Uh, it does, doesn't seem like it to me. So my hope for the future, I don't know. I, 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 I've been I've been looking at this stuff, at least societally oh. and culturally since 2016 now, at least with any intention. And I keep thinking to myself, at some point, there's going to be a breaking point. At some point, someone's going to go too far. Some organization, some governmental body or something is going to cross the line and it's going to be too much. And the backlash will find a new equilibrium. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. You see, You see some hints of it in Hollywood and media where they just keep serving up the same gruel over and over again. And people are starting to not accept it. But as far as the rest of society goes, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. Not quite sure. Yeah. I mean, scribe's great for putting up with, uh, all of that. Check out scribe light on YouTube. I was going to ask him a couple other things. Uh, we can do a follow-up, or I don't know, I guess we'll have to see. Um, I'm supposed to have somebody else on uh, the podcast also this week, so I don't know how I'm going to... I mean, I... God, what a pain in the ass. Like, why? Why does it have to... T- <laughs> when I get a big name... When I get a big name, big name, name like Scribe Light, Scribe Light, Scribe Light, the computer says no, no. Okay, we were talking about the T issue, and is that why? Is that why we were talking about the T issue? Well, you heard it, guys. I got cut off right when we were getting into the T issue. We're getting into that community that shall not be talked about. That shall not be named. And you heard it here first, guys. Cut it off. My computer said nope. Shut the fuck up. You will not speak on this issue. We're shutting it down. Hey, guys. <laughs> hey, guys, we got a podcast talking about the tea issue. We got to shut this down. Right, hit, hit the button. Oh, when we start the computer, hit it again, guys. Hit it again. You know what they say, you gotta take make lemonade out of lemons. No, no, lemons, no, lemons, no, lemons, no, lemons, no. lemons, lemons, lemons. Um, um, um it'll be funny if on Scribe's end his also shut down at the same time. I don't get it. I mean, I really don't like that happening. 
I mean, having a big name, he's going to blacklist me all over the podcast land. Having a big name like Scribe on, and then that happens. My name's uh, good as dead now, okay? Uh, check out Scribe's channel. Scribe's channel. Scribe's channel. Scribe's channel. All right, I guess I'll put this together later, guys. Thank you. Check out Scribe Light. Check out Scribe Light. Patient, patient of a saint. Of a saint. Of a saint. Helping out, going on the little guys channel. Guys channel. Guys channel. Guys channel. Guys channel.